Hey, Reveal listeners, if you've been listening to American Rehab, you don't need me to tell you about the importance of great investigative journalism. It really helps us when our listeners rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It's so easy to do, and it helps others find our show. So we've got a bonus for the next 200 people who review us, Reveal Tote Bags. Like our t-shirts, they're simple and elegant, dark blue with the word facts written across the front in bold type. So here's what you got to do. Text the word REVIEW to 474747, and we'll give you instructions on how to get one while supplies last. Again, text the word REVIEW to 474747. You can text STOP at any time, and standard rates apply. And when you leave the review, if you want to tell them that Al Ledson is your all-time favorite host, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to be mad at that. Thank you so much for your review on Apple Podcasts. It makes a huge difference. From the Center for Investigative Reporting in PRX, this is Reveal. I'm Al Ledson. I remember when I was a kid, my family loved to play Monopoly, and I was ruthless. In fact, I don't play with my kids now because, well, I would crush them under my heels. It's not exactly the type of modeling I want to give my kids because when I play a game like Monopoly, I have to win. King of the world, or at least of Atlantic City. I want to grab everything for myself, all the money, all the power, everything. In real life, that kind of drive for power and money can corrupt. And if the wrong people get in the right position, they can turn government bank accounts into their personal ATM. Turns out there's a word for it, kleptocracy. It means rule by thieves. But you don't have to be king of the world to be a kleptocrat. You can be a king or a prime minister or a president. And the story we're telling today is about one of the United States' biggest kleptocracy investigations. The largest single action ever brought by the department's kleptocracy asset recovery initiative. The Department of Justice is determined to prevent the American financial system from being used as a conduit for corruption. This caper is worldwide and features Leonardo DiCaprio, one of the world's biggest yachts, lots of champagne, allegations of a massive money laundering network, and a penthouse suite at Trump International Hotel and Tower, a penthouse that belonged to Donald Trump. And Patrick Madden, our reporting partner at WAMU in Washington, ran straight into it, right there on Pennsylvania Avenue, outside of President Donald Trump's hotel. Patrick worked with our reporter, Amy Walters, on the story. So it's... Tuesday, September 12th, I'm outside the Trump Hotel in downtown D.C., and it's a little afternoon right now, and there are there's about five or six black SUVs that have Malaysian flags uh, in the windows of the car. It looks to be some part of some sort of motorcade. The Malaysian flag on these trucks looks a lot like the American one, red and white stripes, but on the upper left, there's only one star and a crescent moon. I'm going to try to find out some more information here about uh, whether or not these government officials are staying at the hotel. It would appear to be because uh, last night I saw the same trucks here. They, they left at one point, but obviously they're back here and they're parked in the same place right outside the front lobby to the Trump International Hotel. Excuse me. Are you guys with the Malaysian government? Oh, yes, yes. Are you guys staying at the Trump Hotel? Oh, yes, yes. These two officials were in an entourage of dozens, more than 60 guests, including Prime Minister Najib Razak and his wife, Rosma. They crossed into the lobby of President Trump's landmark hotel. How do you like it? Good place. Good place? So Amy and I had been by Trump's hotel a few times, trying to figure out who was spending money there. And looking around, you'll see the Trump base in their red Make America Great Again trucker hats settled up to the bar next to these people in Italian suits and fancy shoes. And if you come here, you might run into the president. He'll occasionally stop by for a steak dinner. But why did this Malaysian entourage book rooms here? 
We weren't the only ones asking that question. We certainly don't uh, book their hotel accommodation, so I couldn't speak to the personal decision they made about where to stay here in D.C. That's Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the White House press secretary, a little later that day. And she got a little defensive fielding the same question we had at the daily briefing. But this one reporter kept on it. He asked if she thought that they were spending money at the Trump Hotel to curry favor. Her answer was brief. No, I don't. The Malaysians Patrick bumped into outside the hotel seemed a little friendlier. And they had their own reason why they chose the Trump Hotel. What do you like about it? Very convenient place. They were right about the hotel being convenient. Mr. Prime Minister, it's a great honor to have you in the United States and in the White House. The Prime Minister of Malaysia, Najib Razak, was part of their entourage and was meeting with President Trump at the White House that same day, just a few blocks from the hotel. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Mr. President, for your invitation for me and members of my delegation uh, to meet with you at the White House. And the meeting went great. At least Najib said so at a press conference later. And the whole trip has been, I would say, a stress trip. I was very happy to be uh, received by the President of the United States. He received me, not only as Prime Minister, but as, as a friend. And that was a little weird. Yeah, it was really weird. Because remember that kleptocracy investigation? The Prime Minister of Malaysia is right in the middle of it. See, a year earlier, Loretta Lynch, the then attorney general under the Obama administration, laid it all out. Today, the Department of Justice has filed a civil complaint associated with an international conspiracy to launder funds stolen from one Malaysia Development Barad, or 1MDB, a company wholly owned by the government of Malaysia. One Malaysia Development Barad was an investment fund started in 2009 by Prime Minister Najib with government money. And the Malaysian people were told it would create opportunities for them. People hoped it would make the country more successful. But unfortunately, sadly, tragically, a number of corrupt 1MDB officials treated this public trust as a personal bank account. Now, our complaint alleges that from 2009 through 2015, these officials and their associates conspired to misappropriate and launder billions of dollars from 1MDB. And Lynch and her team at the Justice Department were determined to recover the alleged stolen money, at least what was funneled through the U.S. This was a huge announcement, but you may have missed it. A lot of people did. Because it was July 20th, 2016. Thank you. Thank you very much. And a day earlier, the Republican Party had announced the presidential nomination of Donald J. Trump. I humbly and gratefully accept your nomination for the presidency of the United States. Fast forward, Trump's elected president. And Prime Minister Najib books a stay at Trump's Washington, D.C. hotel and meets with President Trump. But why? Why was he staying at Trump Hotel? Why was he meeting with Trump? Why was he in the middle of this investigation? So we decided to call Malaysia to see what we could find out. Is he there? All right, I can hear you better than Amy. When we come back... Amy and Patrick find out what the Prime Minister of Malaysia might want from President Trump and why the Malaysian people are afraid to speak out. There'll also be a cameo by Leonardo DiCaprio and lots of cash. You know what Fugazi is? Fugazi. It's a fake. Hey, Fugazi, Fugazi. It's a wazi, it's a woozy, it's a fairy dust. Was all this legal? Absolutely not. Coming up on Reveal from the Center for Investigative Reporting and PRX. Reveal is brought to you by the University of Virginia and the Sacred and Profane podcast. 
We often hear it's not polite to bring up religion, but we lose so much when we don't talk about religion. Sacred and Profane is a podcast that isn't afraid to tackle religion. Next up, how white Christians built and maintained Confederate monuments across the U.S. Sacred and Profane is produced by the Religion, Race, and Democracy Lab at the University of Virginia. Catch season two wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for Reveal comes from Blinds.com. Transforming your home into even more of a sanctuary is easy and affordable with Blinds.com. They make it simple to shop top-quality blinds, shades, and interior shutters from home with easy online ordering and free shipping. Blinds.com has helped millions of homeowners through the process, and they guarantee the perfect fit whether you DIY or have them install everything for you. Go right now and see how much you can save at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. From the Center for Investigative Reporting and PRX, this is Reveal. I'm Al Letson. We're spending this hour looking at one of the Justice Department's biggest kleptocracy investigations. It started as a civil forfeiture under the Obama administration and is now a criminal investigation under President Trump. Reveals Amy Walters and Patrick Madden from Washington, D.C.'s WAMU started reporting this story last September when President Donald Trump met with the Prime Minister of Malaysia, Najib Razak. While he was in Washington, Prime Minister Najib and his delegation stayed at Trump's hotel. Now, you're probably thinking, why is this a big deal? Foreign leaders go to the White House all the time. Well, the difference here is that the U.S. Department of Justice was investigating what happened to money stolen from a Malaysian state fund begun by Prime Minister Najib. The DOJ alleges that a certain high-ranking official in the Malaysian government, widely reported to be Najib, had hundreds of millions transferred into his own bank account. It's a claim Najib consistently denies. Malaysia's attorney general cleared him of those charges, but a lot of Malaysians aren't pleased. Our government, our government, our leaders are not doing their job. They are only fulfilling their pockets. When word spread that billions were allegedly stolen from this fund, people got upset. There were huge demonstrations. These protesters are directing their anger at one man, Prime Minister Najib Razak. He's been facing allegations of mismanaging a state fund called 1MDB and also for allegedly taking public money. What does the kleptocracy mean for Malaysians? And what does all of this have to do with Prime Minister Najib's visit with President Trump? That's what Amy and Patrick wanted to find out. Hello? Yeah, okay. Hello? All right. So maybe Amy just uh, speak a little slower, then it'll be fine. Can you hear me? Okay. That's Amy and me trying to dial up Cynthia Gabriel in Kuala Lumpur. She's a Malaysian human rights advocate, and she's trying to get back the money that was supposedly stolen from the Malaysian people. It shocked the entire nation here in Malaysia. It shocked a lot of people here. We're talking about 4.5 billion U.S. dollars being stolen, and that's huge. The Malaysian currency, the ringgit, dropped in value, and news reports say the 1MDB scandal was part of the reason why. And a lot of burden is placed on the Malaysian people to actually pay for the burden of the corruption of the political leadership. But it's not just Malaysian leadership. It was actually being facilitated by a massive industry out there, which includes banks, uh, lawyers, um, and so on and so forth, to actually facilitate money laundering and dirty money to be scrubbed, to be made clean, and how the United States was actually being used as as a hub for buying property in Los Angeles, New York, and that's huge. Cynthia's accusations are outlined in the Justice Department's complaints. She came here to the U.S. last year to accept a human rights award for her work fighting corruption. She'd originally studied chemistry and wanted to be a scientist. She never thought this is something she'd be doing full time. Listening to Cynthia talk on Skype now, she sounds very calm, very matter of fact, talking about officials allegedly stealing from the Malaysian people. But what she's doing is a really dangerous job. She says the government has already taken her passport. And there's another threat, she says. Yeah, yeah, for my citizenship to be revoked. Cynthia's not alone. She says that several protesters who accused the prime minister of corruption ended up in jail. And then there was a 
deputy public prosecutor who was on the case that was murdered mysteriously. Although there's no evidence directly to link him with the 1MDB, but the timing, the fact that he was working on the 1MDB case and his mysterious murder, I mean, he was found in an oil drum, just sent shivers down people's spine. The Malaysian government denies the prosecutor was involved in any investigation of 1MDB. But there have been efforts to crack down on criticism. Just this month, the parliament passed something they call an anti-fake news bill. It carries a maximum sentence of six years in prison for anyone reporting news which is, quote, wholly or partly false. Critics say it will allow the government to silence people questioning the prime minister about his connection to the 1MDB scandal. So to Cynthia, the U.S. Justice Department's ongoing investigation into 1MDB, it's a rare source of hope. So I really hope the DOJ will not disappoint the Malaysian people even more, or the global community for that matter. But when news broke in Malaysia that their prime minister would be visiting the White House while the investigation was going on and staying at the Trump Hotel? It certainly raised eyebrows. And it's like, how much, you know? That was the first question on everyone's minds. And why Trump Hotel? Because the Trump Hotel is an active business property of President Trump. So why stay in the Trump Hotel? To obviously curry flavor from President Trump. This meeting wasn't a one-off. Najib and Trump had golf together at Trump's New Jersey Country Club in 2014 before Trump was president. Trump signed a photograph of the two of them calling Najib my favorite prime minister. And the truth is, Najib has a habit of courting U.S. heads of state. He's hit the links with President Obama as well. But Najib's meeting with Trump at the White House and the stayover at the Trump Hotel was different, the way Cynthia explains it. Najib was using this latest date in their bromance to show the world he's not a crook. It was very important for the Malaysian prime minister to have this meeting to actually show the Malaysian people that, hey, I'm not a wanted man in the United States, contrary to what everyone else is saying. The price for a night at the Trump Hotel hovers around $550 on the low end. And there were more than 60 guests. Some just spent one night, others were booked for over a week. Adding it all up, the total hovers around $100,000, not accounting for any sort of group discount. But it wasn't just the hotel bill. More money went to a lobbying group to help get Malaysian officials meetings with officials in Washington, D.C. Patrick and I went on a urban adventure in downtown D.C. to find out who was paying for that. I mean, talk about nondescript, right? Yeah, right. This is... I don't even see any signs on here. That was like a piece of paper <laughs> taped to the window. Despite the lack of signage, we found what we were looking for. Hi, looking for the FARA office. The Foreign Agent Registration Office. Thank you. It is not exactly one of DC's great monuments. No, it's a tiny little ground floor office, not far from the Capitol, but it's a lot more powerful than it looks. Exactly. Foreign governments wanting to lobby the U.S., to spend money, to try to get us to do what they want, have to go through this office. It's a firewall against an invasion of foreign influence in the United States. We can't record while we're pulling the records? No recording. But we were able to grab some of the information we were looking for. We came out of the office armed with a very small handful of papers. We couldn't really wait to see the forms. So we kind of nerded out here. Instead of heading back to the office, we popped into a restaurant next door and had a look. There it is, name of registrant, the 45 group. Address Wheeling, West Virginia. 45, like the 45th president of the United States. It's run by a former Trump campaign spokesperson, and the documents show that the office of the prime minister of Malaysia paid the lobbying firm $250,000 four months before Prime Minister Najib visited the United States. And it says, the 45 group will assist the Republic of Malaysia via the Godfrey Group with arranging meetings between the U.S. government officials and Malaysian officials. That's all we know, but that's in May. But four months later, 
There is a meeting set up at the White House, and this group is staying at the Trump Hotel. What was the prime minister's office trying to get out of its visit to Washington? To try and find out, I headed to the quiet suburbs of Northern Virginia. Hi, John. Hey, Amy, come on in. Thank you. Yes. Hi. Ambassador John Mallet retired to this neighborhood of cul-de-sacs and stately homes. These days, he spends a lot of time with his small and aging canine friend. But 20 years ago, he had a different life on the other side of the world. In the mid-90s, he was a U.S. ambassador to Malaysia. And you can tell, talking to him, it's a time he hasn't forgot. I knew Najib when I was in Malaysia, saw him frequently. I knew his wife. I liked her. Always got along very, very well. So to me, it's not personal. It may not be personal, but Mallet's pretty clear he's disappointed about the inflation of corruption in Prime Minister Najib's Malaysia now. In the old days, we were talking millions, and now we're talking billions uh, that are being stolen uh, and passed around. So it's a, to me, it's a very different thing, because at the end of the day, I love Malaysia, and I like the Malaysian people. And it pains me to see what has happened to that country under his rule. In this case of 1MDB, $4.5 billion were stolen, according to the Justice Department. Some of that money landed in the U.S., and the DOJ is going after more than a billion by civil forfeiture. In August of 2017, things escalated, and a separate criminal investigation was announced. The civil complaint mentions money laundering a dozen times. If criminal charges are brought and proven in court, a big if— the maximum sentence for money laundering is 20 years in prison. So after President Trump invited Prime Minister Najib to the White House, Mallet says Najib took that as a positive sign. Before he came to see Trump, the expression of interest was being made in, in Malaysia, like, I hope this invitation means that the case is going to be dropped. Uh, because they definitely would like to see the case dropped. Joseph Yun was ambassador to Malaysia when the Justice Department announced its investigation. So I reached out, asking if he'd been contacted by Najib or people connected with him about getting the investigation dropped. He didn't respond to the question. Whatever the outcome of the investigation, Ambassador Mallet says Prime Minister Najib has nothing to worry about in the short term. My understanding is, based on international precedent, that as long as he is the head of the government, he cannot be indicted. Uh, if the day ever comes when he is no longer prime minister, then, of course, he can be charged. A former Justice Department attorney I spoke with said it's not that a foreign head of state can't be arrested when they're on U.S. soil. It's that it doesn't happen, not very often at least. But there's one person Ambassador Mallet doesn't think would fare as well as Najib if charges are brought. His name is Low Take Joe, and everyone knows him as Joe Low. Do they care about Joe Low? He's expendable. We find out who Joe Low is, how he's connected to Prime Minister Najib, and which expenses made him so expendable. Jolo was becoming one of the world's most notorious big spenders at the same time as he was the uh, known advisor to the Prime Minister of Malaysia for an investment fund where all the money seemed to be disappearing. That part of the story when we come back on Reveal. From the Center for Investigative Reporting in PRX, this is Reveal. I'm Al Edson. Uh, do they care about Jolo? Uh, he's expendable. So... Who is Joe Lo? Lo Take Joe is his full name, and the FBI claims he and his associates helped siphon off billions of dollars meant to help the people of Malaysia. They also claim Joe Lo and his associates were laundering some of that money right here in the United States. They used the money to pay gambling debts at Las Vegas casinos. They rented luxury yachts. They spent millions on property, some of which is subject to seizure and forfeiture based on the complaint filed today. That's Andrew McCabe when he was the deputy director of the FBI in 2016. The FBI claims Jolo and Malaysian government officials took money from a Malaysian development fund, 1MDB. Jolo is also family friends with the man who started 1MDB, Prime Minister Najib. 
the Justice Department complaint never mentions Malaysia's prime minister. It only refers to Malaysian official one. Bajolo's name appears more than 600 times. While most people in the U.S. might not have heard of him, he did make a name for himself in the New York party scene. Patrick Madden of WAMU in Washington, D.C., and reveals Amy Walters. Pick up the story from here. Before we start the party, we have to set the scene. This was around 2009. Remember 2009? People were still losing their homes and their jobs due to the Great Recession. There were not a lot of champagne celebrations going on. But in the nightclubs in New York, this 20-something guy, Jolo, starts showing up with a different vibe. Jolo would go to a club and start passing around bottles of Cristal. And when you do that enough times, you get a write-up in the paper. New York nightclubs were fighting over him, according to one gossip column. And it started to seem like A-list celebrities were fawning over him, too. Celebrities like Paris Hilton. In this video, Paris is waving a bottle of Cristal with a sparkler, leaning on Jolo in his fedora and sunglasses while he's struggling to sing into the mic. At one point, she sort of falls on top of him. You know, the sign of a good party. But with all this attention, people started asking, where's the money coming from? Claire Rucastle-Brown is a former BBC journalist. She lives in the UK now, but grew up in Malaysia and writes a news blog about the country called the Sarawak Report. That's one of the Malaysian states. And Claire had her eye on Jolo. Jolo was becoming one of the world's most notorious big spenders at the same time as he was the uh, known advisor to the Prime Minister of Malaysia for an investment fund where all the money seemed to be disappearing. Both the prime minister and Jolo deny the allegations. The Malaysian attorney general also cleared Prime Minister Najib of any wrongdoing. But Claire didn't. She started writing about Jolo's links to 1MDB and the prime minister. Once the story started getting out, a tidal wave of leaked documents washed her way. It was a fairly painstaking piece of research, but those emails and documents showed very clearly the crucial role that Jolo was playing. Jolo siphoned off $700 million from 1MDB, according to Claire's reporting. Which he'd stolen, and they were looking to invest that money in the United States. U.S. investigators allege $700 million was deposited into a bank account controlled by Jolo, and that he laundered the money in a huge spending spree here in the U.S. One of Jolo's first projects was the Laramie Taj, a Beverly Hills hotel. Celebrities, past and present, are no stranger to the famous hotel. This is a recent promotional video. From movie stars such as Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor to today's Hollywood elites. In 2009, the hotel was owned by Colony Capital. Thomas Barrick was its founder and CEO. After a merger, it's now Colony Northstar. Barrick is also very close to Donald Trump. I really consider him a really good friend, a person I know in a way that most people don't. That's from a 2016 Bloomberg interview with Barrick. He was a huge fundraiser for the Trump campaign, the chairman of his inaugural committee. His name had even come up as one of Trump's favorites for White House chief of staff. In 2009, Barrick was accepting bids on the Lamitage Hotel, and Jolo put in an offer. Remember, Jolo was just starting out. He had a reputation in some circles for spending money on parties. Now, he had to prove he had enough cash to buy a whole hotel. His bar tabs were steep, but not that steep. But maybe Jolo had a solution. He'd been cozying up to oil money from the Persian Gulf for some time. That's Jolo screaming, Saudi Arabia's in the house, from another party video. According to the Justice Department, there were Saudi nationals working with Jolo. But his most important contact in this story isn't from Saudi Arabia. The UAE takes our responsibility to stand with our allies very seriously. And we are proud. Yosef al Oteba is the ambassador to the United States from the United Arab Emirates. And according to Claire, Oteba was Jolo's guy. Jolo was using a Tiber from early on, from at least 2008, to give an appearance 
of him being a guy with access to Arab cash. And it seems like Oteba helped because we have some emails from him. And they were obtained by a group calling itself Global Leaks. Some of them were published in Claire's Sarawak report. And in one email, Oteba introduces himself to Thomas Barrick. Then he writes, quote, I'm contacting you today to endorse this bid. He's referring to Jolo's bid to buy the L'Hermitage Hotel in Beverly Hills. So he doesn't mention Jolo by name. As the UAE ambassador, he continues, I'm confident the bid will surpass your expectations. And Barrick responds, Thank you so much for your kind note. I will speak to our team today and get back to you soon. I hope to see you in person in the near future. About a month later, the sale went through. Jolo bought the hotel for $44,800,000. We confirmed that amount with public documents. According to the Justice Department complaint, Jolo bought the hotel with money stolen from 1MDB in Malaysia. And Thomas Barrick made a big investment with a very similar amount of money just two months later. And that investment came after a conversation with his good friend Donald Trump. That's according to reporting by The Washington Post. Here's Barrick again from that Bloomberg interview in 2016. I've been a financial partner of his on many things that he's done. He's been a partner of mine on many things that I've done. And that relationship extends to Trump's son-in-law as well. In 2007, Kushner Companies bought a skyscraper in midtown Manhattan. 666 Fifth Avenue is a very interesting one. Major Kushner real estate property, 666 Fifth Avenue. Kushner Companies bought 666 Fifth Avenue for a record-breaking price, $1.8 billion. And it came with an equally hefty mortgage, $1.2 billion. In 2008, the recession hit. And in 2009, Jared Kushner married Ivanka Trump. All of a sudden, Trump had a new son-in-law with a lot of debt. So according to the Washington Post, he went to his buddy Thomas Barrick, hoping to get a little help. Jared Kushner reportedly flew to California for the meeting. In the end, Barrick bought some of Kushner's debt. In fact, Barrick's colony capital paid almost the exact same amount for the Kushner debt, $44.9 $44.9 million as Jolo paid for the L'Hermitage Hotel two months earlier. We should say there's no evidence Thomas Barrick or Jared Kushner knew where Jolo got the money to buy the L'Hermitage Hotel. But the Justice Department is alleging Jolo stole it. Money laundering essentially is taking the proceeds of an illegal activity and making it very difficult to trace. Barack Cohen is a former Army Ranger and a white-collar criminal defense attorney at the Perkins Coie Law Firm in Washington, D.C. He used to be an attorney at the Justice Department, and he knows what he's talking about when it comes to money laundering. I've experienced both prosecuting and defending against claims that involve money laundering. And Cohen says if that money was stolen, the government would have the right to seize it. Even if you know nothing about it and you're, you know, you're the best person on earth would never get involved in in money laundering, you know, the asset can still get seized. And that obviously has a financial impact on you. On the other hand, if you sold me the asset and I knew that it was part of the money laundering, well, then maybe I'm a co-conspirator too. Now, the Justice Department lists the L'Hermitage Hotel among the assets it wants to seize, but doesn't list the proceeds from the sale, the $44.8 million Jolo paid for it. We asked the Justice Department why wouldn't they go after that money. They declined to comment as it's an ongoing case. So we spoke to Sam Buell. He's a former federal prosecutor and now a professor at Duke. Buell proposed some theories. If you went to Colony Capital and said, we are trying to seize $44.8 million in account X, which we have traced to the sale of this hotel, then Colony Capital is going to say, We didn't have any reason to believe that there was anything wrong with that money. And if the government thinks it's going to lose that argument, then they're not going to take it on because it's going to be expensive to litigate and not worth the effort. That's one possibility. Another possibility is just that the government hasn't gotten around to it yet. Once in the White House, Kushner resigned as CEO of Kushner Companies and sold some interest to his mother, according to The New York Times. 
but his company still holds a $1.2 billion mortgage. And it's due next year. There are a lot of questions about Kushner's entanglements. We talked to Democratic Congressman Ted Lieu, and he's concerned about Kushner's relationship with the United Arab Emirates. Foreign countries, including UAE, think that they can manipulate Jared Kushner because of his debts and financial arrangements. And he certainly should not be senior White House advisor. Kushner's top secret security clearance has been downgraded. But he's still in charge of pushing through Trump's Middle East peace plan. And as Politico reports, he's in regular contact with Ambassador Oteba from the UAE. We contacted Kushner companies. We contacted Jared Kushner's attorneys. And we contacted the White House. No one responded. After buying the L'Hermitage Hotel, Jolo kept doing deals. Trust is the fundamental aspect to our way of life. Here he is in a promotional video for his company, Jinwell Capital. Each deal changes a community, a country, and a world. And some of these deals were with people very close to Donald Trump. People like Steve Whitkoff. A friend of mine, Steve Whitkoff, who's a great developer in New York City, Steve has been one of my great friends over the years, tremendously successful man. In November of 2013, Jolo purchased Manhattan's Park Lane Hotel, partnering with Steve Witkoff's Witkoff Group. It started to look like either Jolo was taking advantage of Trump's friends, or Trump's friends were taking advantage of the money Jolo was throwing around. And we should say Jolo's spending didn't slow down. The DOJ complaint lists more items, fine art, a private jet, a yacht. A California-based motion picture company called Red Granite Pictures. That's Leslie Caldwell from the 2016 Justice Department press conference. Red Granite Pictures, in turn, used more than $100 million of that money to finance the award-winning 2013 film, The Wolf of Wall Street. Yup, that Wolf of Wall Street. You know what the guys is? Fugazi, it's a fake. Yeah, Fugazi, Fugazi, it's a wazi, it's a woozy, it's a fairy dust. Was all this legal? Absolutely not. The Malaysian prime minister's stepson paid for the film, according to the DOJ. He got an executive producer credit, and Jolo got a special thanks. And there's still one more deal we have to talk about. A property that once belonged to Donald Trump. We're here today in my exclusive listing at 1 Central Park West. This is the Trump International Hotel and Tower, apartment 52A. That's Howard Margolis, a Manhattan real estate broker, showing the penthouse, 52A, 1 Central Park West. Which was formerly owned by Donald Trump himself. When they built the building, Donald Trump took this particular apartment as his own unit. Donald bought the apartment for $5 million from the developers he was working with. Then... Trump sold it to an Italian film producer who soon found himself in debt to the tune of $33 million. The penthouse went up for auction. We have a bid from an entity named One Central Park West, NYC, LLC. This was submitted uh, by its counsel, Sherman and Sterling. Starting at $18.5 million. Uh, It quickly turned into a bidding war. $21,600,000 net to the estate. $21,700,000 net to the estate. And according to Justice Department documents, Jolo transferred $35 million to his New York attorneys for the winning bid on Penthouse 52A, 1 Central Park West. Your Honor, 1 Central Park West bids $31,850,000 on a net basis. Your Honor, WF is is out. We wish them good luck. That would be the most expensive residential condo purchase of the year, according to a New York real estate trade magazine, leaving Trump with bragging rights to this record-breaking sale. 
So, Amy and Patrick, let me get this straight. The Justice Department claims that Joe Lowe was involved in using stolen money for a bunch of business deals. And we've learned that some of those multi-million dollar deals involved President Trump's closest friends. Now, did any of them know? Did they know who they were dealing with? Yeah, that is a really good, it's actually a really crucial question, Al. Did Thomas Barrick know? Did Steve Witkoff know? Did any of them know that the money behind these business deals could have been stolen from the people of Malaysia? Up until July 2016, it's hard to know what they knew. There aren't a lot of people with the kind of money Jolo had to throw around. There were news reports alleging Jolo was buying millions in property, and gossip columns were speculating about the sources. But without access to conversations, emails, bank accounts, it's impossible to know who knew what. The Justice Department is not sharing information because it's an ongoing investigation. But in July 2016, and this is a crucial point, the DOJ announced their 1MDB investigation. And Eileen Decker was the U.S. attorney in L.A. then. She said the government was going to be seizing assets. And those assets included the Lermitage Hotel in Beverly Hills and the Park Lane in New York, two of the properties we've been talking about. The Department of Justice is sending a message that we will not allow the United States to become a playground for the corrupt, that we will not allow it to be a platform for money laundering or a place to hide and invest in stolen riches. So do we know if the Justice Department is talking to any of these people you've reported on as a part of this story? We don't know. But it's hard to subpoena witnesses overseas. So the question is, are investigators talking to people in the U.S. to trace the Malaysian money? People like Thomas Barrick, Steve Witkoff, maybe even Kushner and Trump. We asked Matt Klecka, one of the former Justice Department attorneys we spoke to, if he thought they were talking to Thomas Barrick. I would hope so. He doesn't have to speak with investigators. He has, you know, he has a right not to, but... I would hope that um, that they did. I would strongly, strongly suspect that this is ongoing. And you stumbled onto this by walking by the Trump Hotel where this Malaysian delegation, including the prime minister, was staying. Yes, last September. Keep in mind, we don't have receipts showing they paid, but they did stay at the hotel. So we had some questions. First... Does this violate the Emoluments Clause, which says elected officials can't profit from being in office? Specifically, they can't accept payments or gifts from foreign governments. We talked to John McKyle, a professor at Georgetown University's law school. He filed friend-of-the-court briefs for several of the Emoluments Clause cases against President Trump. He had a strong response. It's truly outrageous. It's clear, or what I call the clearest kind of case, because even on the government's definition of emolument, uh, profit arising from office or employment, that seems to fall squarely within that definition in the following sense. There's a causal connection between his holding the office of president and the payments that he's receiving. But so far, these emoluments lawsuits are still working their way through the courts. One was tossed out, others are pending. But Professor McKyle also said that Trump's failure to divest from his company, including his hotels, is troubling. He says it looks a lot like the corruption we see in other countries around the world. So is this kleptocracy investigation still happening? Yes. In December of last year, Attorney General Jeff Sessions was pretty clear on that. He made a big statement about the investigation. One MDB officials allegedly laundered more than $4.5 billion in funds through a complex series of opaque transactions and fraudulent shell companies with bank accounts in countries ranging from Switzerland to Singapore, Luxembourg, and the United States. This is kleptocracy at its worst. Today, the United States Department of Justice is working to provide justice to the victims of these alleged schemes. He doesn't say what will happen to the alleged perpetrators, but it does sound like it's full steam ahead. And some of the assets have been turned in. Leonardo DiCaprio gave back an Oscar once owned by Marlon Brando. He says he received that as a gift. According to the Justice Department complaint, 
Victoria's Secret angel Miranda Kerr also received a heart-shaped diamond from JOLO. The Wall Street Journal reported she turned that over to the Justice Department, too. We also heard that JOLO's super yacht, the Equanimity, just got confiscated. How did that happen? Because the Justice Department recently announced it stopped seizing assets. Well, first about the yacht. This boat is amazing. It has its own swimming pool. It's worth a quarter billion dollars. The equanimity was seized by Indonesian police while it was moored in Bali. And according to court documents, the U.S. government asked Indonesia to hand it over to the U.S. That hasn't happened yet. Jolo, it turns out, wasn't on the boat when it was seized, and his whereabouts are still a big question. As far as seizing assets, though, you're right. Last year, the Justice Department announced this 1MDB civil seizure was stayed. It just means pause for those of us who don't speak legalese. And the reason is now there's a criminal investigation. Barack Cohen, the attorney we spoke with who's worked on money laundering cases, he says the criminal investigation, it's a big deal. It's absolutely more serious if it becomes criminal. Um, Obviously, there were court proceedings and grand juries that are open, so there was information gathering that's pretty aggressive. It's a lot more serious. There's a maximum penalty of 20 years in prison. As of now, no one's been charged. So from your reporting, it sounds like there's been interest in getting this investigation dropped. Yes, that's right. Just a few weeks ago, a Republican donor was proposing Jolo pay him $75 million if he succeeded in settling the matter, presumably the DOJ investigation, in 180 days. Now, this is according to emails obtained by The Wall Street Journal. We should say the deal never went through. And we also have emails obtained by the group Global Leaks. And in one of them from October 2015... A D.C. lobbyist reaches out to the UAE ambassador, Yosef Oteba. Oteba is the one who emailed Thomas Barrick, trying to get him to sell the Lamitage Hotel to Jolo. And in the email, the lobbyist advises that the UAE assess whether to engage with the Justice Department at, quote, the early stages to steer the direction of the FBI's investigation. And this was before the investigation was announced publicly. We reached out to the lobby firm, and they wouldn't comment on the legitimacy of the email. Do we know if President Trump has had any impact on this investigation? We don't know of anything. And the truth is, it's really hard to know. This is an ongoing Department of Justice investigation, which means no one is saying anything. It's like a black box. What we do know is President Trump started his administration firing the head of the FBI, James Comey. Attorney General Jeff Sessions seems to be hanging on to his position by a thread. Adam Schiff, a Democratic congressman, told us he's very concerned about the Justice Department's independence from the president overall. The Justice Department uh, sadly takes some steps uh, to accommodate uh, the president, uh, steps that break down the wall of independence between the White House and the Justice Department. Andrew McCabe was one of the FBI officials who announced the 1MDB investigation. Maybe you remember, he was recently fired hours before he was set to retire with a full pension. President Trump tweeted McCabe's firing was a great day for democracy. But for Republicans like Senator Jeff Flake, it was a step too far. Here's Senator Flake on CNN's State of the Union. I think it was a horrible day for democracy to have firings like this happening uh, at the top uh, from the president and the attorney general um, does not speak well for what's going on. Did you reach out to the White House and President Trump? We did. We reached out to the White House. They referred us to the Trump Organization. We reached out to them, but no response by Twitter or otherwise. So what happens now? Well, First, we have to see what happens with the Justice Department's investigation into 1MDB. One of the attorneys who was working on the investigation with the money laundering and asset section of DOJ has now been pulled over to Special Prosecutor Mueller's team. And in Malaysia, there's an election coming up as early as this spring. And Prime Minister Najib has a lot hanging on that because if he loses the election, he wouldn't only lose his position— he'd be more vulnerable to investigations that are happening around the world, several countries, including the U.S., but also Switzerland, Singapore, Luxembourg, 
All these countries are trying to figure out what happened to the money that was supposed to be invested in 1MDB. What about Jolo? Where is he? You know, right now, no one knows. There's no warrant out for his arrest, but he's fallen out of sight and hasn't been seen in any of those wild New York City parties in quite a while. Amy Walters is our reporter here at Reveal. Patrick Madden is our partner on this story from Washington, D.C.'s public radio station, WAMU. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Al. Thank you, Al. Lance Williams and Matt Smith helped out on this week's show. Amy Walters was our lead producer this week. Our show was edited by Deb George. Special thanks to WAMU and Catherine Miskowski for helping out with fact-checking. Our production manager is Mwende Inaosa. Our sound design team is the dynamic duo, Jay Breezy, Mr. Jim Briggs, and Fernando, my man, yo, Aruda. We had help this week from Ramteen Arablui, Catherine Raimondo, and Kat Shukman. Acting CEO is Krista Scharfenberg. Amy Paul is our editor-in-chief. Our executive producer is Kevin Sullivan. Our theme music is by Camarado, Lightning. Support for reveals provided by the Reva and David Logan Foundation, the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation, the Jonathan Logan Family Foundation, the Ford Foundation, the Heising Simons Foundation, and the Ethics and Excellence in Journalism Foundation. Reveal is a co-production of the Center for Investigative Reporting and PRX. I'm Al Letson, and remember... There is always more to the story.